Welcome to our podcast. We are Vintage City Church based out of Fort Collins, Colorado. As a church, we're currently working through the Book of Romans. If you would like to watch the live video from this episode, head over to VintageCityChurch.tv and we hope you enjoy this message. Romans 10, I want to pick up in verse 9. Last week, we kind of, every gathering had its own teaching, so I'm going to try to pull us back together today a little bit. Probably not, but... For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, Anyone who believes in him will not be disappointed. The Jews and the Gentiles are the same in this respect. They all have the same Lord who generously gives riches to all who ask for them. For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures, that is what the scriptures mean when they say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Let's read it one more time. I want to make sure we catch it. It's a familiar passage, but I want to look at it in maybe the way the early Roman church would have heard it. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who believes in him will not be disappointed. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They all have the same Lord who generously gives his riches to all who ask for them. For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's what the scriptures mean when they say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. All right, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you just to ask for your heart for clarity, understanding, and what we study. Lord, we, we come into the scriptures with a deep belief that all scripture is breathed by you. It has this supernatural ability to change us, transform us, to shape us into your image. And so we just position ourselves right now um, under the scriptures, inviting your transformation, inviting your perspective as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I want to take a look firstly at, at the, the first thing Paul will say. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it's interesting that he doesn't just say, if you believe that Jesus is Lord and if you believe that God raised him from the dead. He could have easily said that. He could have just said, if, all you got to do is believe in Jesus. You're like, yeah, isn't that what it's all about? Well, in our culture right now, Believing in Jesus is what everybody's like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But it's interesting that Paul's statement here, what he will tie to salvation, what he will say that salvation is inextricably connected to is not just belief. Yes, belief matters, but what it's connected to is this thing called lordship. Kyrios is the word in the Greek. 
supreme ruler and authority. We looked at this just a touch last week. I want to I sit in it just a little longer because I fear if, if we, it's an easy and very, uh, it's one of those things we want to move past. You see, because lordship requires submission of my will to his. Lordship is the moment when I decide that you are Lord and you're going to lead me and guide me. From that moment on, my wants, dreams, desires, perspectives are now secondary to your wants, dreams, desires, and perspectives. And I think it's so easy because we have to hold this tension in our mind. We have to hold this tension in our hearts. We are responsible to remind ourselves all the time, I made a decision to declare him as Lord. Out of my decision to declare him as Lord, I made a decision to allow my life to now reveal him at all times. And it is true that I have a will. It is true that I have my own perspectives. It is true that I have my own thoughts. But I have chosen as a follower of Jesus to lay those down. And if you think, well, I'm not sure I've chosen that, I would submit to you, you're not a follower of Jesus. You see, lordship's not a choice. It's a requirement. Paul could have said it differently. He could have said, if you believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And if you confess him as Lord, you're going to live a great life. But that's not what he said. What he declares to them is a, is a term they would understand. See, kurios is the same word that was used for the Roman supreme leaders, for the emperor, for those in governing authority. They understood exactly what it meant. This one, this man, this Jesus Christ, is from here on your headship, your leader, your boss. He calls the shots. I love how Paul will continue on, because he, he says this, ver this phrase, and anyone who believes in him will not be disappointed. And he does this kind of spin on it, where they instantly, with the word kyrios, have a picture in their mind of, of this, this leadership that is a little heavy-handed, a little totalitarian, and maybe for all of us, we have that similar idea, where leadership's been heavy-handed, totalitarian. Maybe that's what you experienced. Maybe that's how you grew up. And I love Paul's statement here. He's like, oh, no, 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 time out. This one doesn't disappoint. He's not like the leaders you knew. He gives this promise. Your trusting in his leadership will not fail you. You'll never be disappointed by allowing him to lead you and refusing to let your sin nature lead you. How many have ever noticed your sin nature never asks permission to lead? You see, this lordship conversation is about learning to subdue one thing, to make another come to the surface. We learn to step on our sin nature, to put it underfoot. Why? So we make room for him. I said it last week, I'll say it again. If you're waiting for your sin nature to disappear uh, and you're holding your breath, you will pass out. <laughs> it has to be put underfoot. How do I do that? by putting on the nature of Jesus, by saying, I chose you as Lord. Therefore, no matter how strongly I feel this particular moment, I choose you. 
no matter how deeply I want said thing, I choose you. Have you ever considered when you want to step into a pattern of life that you know is sin, why not just go sit with the Lord and ask him? Legitimately, just go sit down and say, Jesus, what do you think about this? I really want to go do this. Can I have your perspective? Well, I know what he's going to say. Yeah, me too, but why is that important? Without faith, it's impossible to please God, and every time the Lord speaks, he imparts faith. So the moment you hear his voice say, I don't want you to do that, all of a sudden you've heard the word of the Lord, you've received the seed of faith, and now you can just step into obedience, and now you're pleasing to him even though you wanted to do something bad. That's crazy how nice that is. But we do the same thing with our kids, don't we? If my youngest son came up to me and said, Dad, I want to punch my brother in the face, what do you think? And I said to him, hey, buddy, I don't think that's the right course of action. And he's like, okay, you're right. Thanks, Dad, for that. Instantly, pleasure comes out of me. Because that obedience draws kindness. It's the same with the king. When Paul says anyone who believes in him will not be disappointed, I, just, I see several things and I want to highlight for them. Number one, he is faithful and completely trustworthy. Paul's statement here Anyone who believes in him, it's an open statement, anyone, it's not limited, it doesn't say there's going to be a few people that believe in him and they won't be disappointed, the rest of you, bummer, you didn't get it on the ground floor. He says, no, anyone who believes in him will not be disappointed. And he takes this idea of lordship and belief and he ties them together and he's stepping in the next. Here's what he's saying. Anyone who submits their life to him as Lord and allows him to lead them and guide them, you will not be disappointed. How many understand that Romans in chapter 3 taught us that the wages of sin, the wage is a term of earning, which means there's a run rate on something, there's a payout coming. The wage of sin, the payout on sin eventually is what? It's death. The problem we live in is sometimes the disappointment side of this, there are times when following Jesus costs us a lot. It's not easy at first. There's usually sacrifice involved. So we read this, we're like, well, I don't, know about, I don't know about these guys, but when I followed him, I got disappointed because it cost me a lot. In the end, you won't be disappointed. You see, and sin's the opposite. Sin feels fantastic in the moment. It feels like the right decision. It's, it lines with our nature. Everything about it's like, yes, but eventually the outcome is death. So Paul's challenge to them is, if you can learn to trust him, you won't be disappointed. Why? Because he's faithful. Second, his leadership is always correct. We're not following a leader that has ideas. We're following a leader that threw the stars into space and told them to stop moving. We're following a leader who said to the oceans, you can come this far no further. We're following a leader that was capable of speaking things into existence. He is God all by himself. Pastor Gary said it during ministry time. He doesn't need loyal subjects to follow him. He's fine. He's fully capable. Self-existent. What does that self-existent want mean? It means he doesn't need anything else to exist. He's God. So when we follow his voice, we're not following somebody with a cool idea. We're following the one who knows the end from the beginning. So to that end... In your life right now, whatever he is asking of you, whatever he's asking you to lay down, whatever he's asking you to step into, whatever he is asking of you, you should run to follow him because that is the path of blessing. 
regardless of what you think it's going to cost you. He will never invite you into something that is not for your benefit. He's asking me to kill off a relationship. It's for your benefit. He's asking me to lay down a substance abuse. It's for your benefit. He's asking me to move across the country. It's for your benefit. Just that's the answer always. He is worthy to be followed. He's trustworthy. Paul keeps going. He says the Jew and the Gentile, that's the same in this respect. I think there's a couple things that I want to highlight out of this verse, but I want to finish reading. They all have the same Lord who generously gives his riches. I really want to focus on that phrase. It was interesting to me as I was studying this because I considered Paul's statement here. He's talking to the Romans, and he's talking about Jewish people all the way up through, through Romans to this part. He's talking about people who have rejected Jesus, and they have no desire to follow Jesus. That's the, that's the typification of the Jew in Romans. And yet he says... The Jew and Gentile are all the same in this respect. They all have the same Lord. And it caused me to push pause. What happens if I take that and I logically extend it out? Now it means that every person that lives around me in the city I live in still has him as their Lord. Some of them just don't know it yet. There is a moment of lordship for every person on the planet. It can be in this lifetime where we bow our knee, or it can be at the end where we're required to bow our knee in front of the king of glory. I don't want to drive us towards something. I want to remind us of something. If his heart was that he is Lord of all, and we know that John 3 says it this way, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that no one would perish. What kind of tragedy and sadness will be in the heart of the king? when he sees people that have never called him Lord until the last day. And they didn't call him Lord because they wanted to. They called him Lord because they didn't have a choice. Because the realization was, oh, you're him. Maybe that should cause us to see the world around us different. Instead of us against them, it's just us loving them. Because he already does. He's already decided, I'm their king. It should cause us to let go of the judgment. It should cause us to let go of the weirdness we feel. It should cause us to let go of any political leanings that we think are meant to bring Christianity into worldview. What brings Christianity into worldview is the people of God loving the world. John says they will know us by what? Our love. That's it. It's the only thing that he says they'll know us by, is our love. I love this phrase, who generously gives his riches to all who ask for them. I'd say it this way, Jesus loves to share what is his with those who follow his leadership. The word for riches here is abundance. It means wealth, total health, emotional, physical, and spiritual. And he loves to give generously to share with his people. Isn't it interesting that the enemy, Jesus will say, is a thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But the juxtaposition is the king of glory loves to be generous. I would love to say it this way. He loves to share with his people his goodness. It's not just spiritual. 
It's fiscal. It's emotional. His dream for you is to lead you into a path of increasing blessing. Oh, that sounds like a prosperity gospel. You can't connect to the king of glory who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and not end up be being blessed by him because it's who he is. He is good. It's not that we're aiming for the blessing. We're aiming for the one and blessing comes with him. It's almost like the blessing of God is the perfume that he wears. When he walks into the room, you can't help but smell it. And I love that Paul says, look, he is generous. He's not out to take from you. He's not out to superimpose himself over you. He just wants to get near you and lavish on your life. So follow him, make him Lord, quit fighting, quit arguing, do what he says, live how he says, so he can bless you the way he wants to. His generosity is rooted in his character. His goodness is part of his character. It's not just something he decides to be. I don't know about you. I have to decide to be good. He is good. It's different. Which is why we need time with him. I would submit to you that if you, the more you spend time with one that is good, you might start to act like him. Conversely, the less time you spend with one that is good, the more you'll act like you. Just a thought. And I love this statement because I feel like Paul drops something in here that all of the theologians that have argued miss. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation's open to anybody. We do not serve a God who's choosing between some and other, saying, I like you, I don't like you, get out. That is not his character, it's not his heart, it doesn't align with anything in the scriptures. His heart is, I want them all, because I can fix them all, I can redeem them all. I can make every mess right. I can make every crimson-stained person white again. That's what he says in Isaiah 1. Come here. You're all messed up and bloody and gross from your sin. Just let me talk to you, and I can make you white as wool. So Paul works here to establish this kindship of God, this generosity of Jesus, and the openness of heaven to the cries of those who want Jesus' leadership. Now, this next topic is the one I want to just spend a few minutes in because it becomes a challenge now. Here's who he is. Here's who he's been to you. Here's who he wants to be. Now, what are you going to do with that? And he says this, how can they call on him unless they, are, unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard of him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go Tell them without being sent. The they in the verse, how can they call on him unless they believe in him? The they is the same word as anyone. In context, specifically, he's talking about the Jewish people who are in a condition where they don't want to know him. And his statement is, how are those Jewish people going to know about him? How are they going to believe in him unless any walks? But if we can take it and extrapolate it out, in the context of chapter 10, it means people in general. How can anyone who doesn't know him It would appear that Paul's presenting a continuum and the goal is to draw his readers into a compassionate action. It's a wake-up call to realize that everybody around them that doesn't know Jesus needs Jesus. The word call here is kaleo in the Greek. It means to cry out. And I see something really obvious in this. Who cries out? People in need, right? 
The idea is to, is to cry out for help. The idea is to reach unto something. Well, generally, the only people that do that are people that are in trouble. So maybe it should cause us to look at these conditions we come upon where people are in trouble, they've made a wreck of their life, they've destroyed their life, and instead of judging it, we just look at it and go, ooh, you're finally at a spot where you might need Jesus. It's an opportunity. God in his mercy has let you get to the end of yourself because he wants to show you who he is. So we remove our judgments of where they are and we just allow these to be the moments where we're like, okay, there's a chance for you to get to know him. And Paul's logic in this, I love, the lost ones can't call on him unless they believe in him, but they can't believe in what they haven't heard of, but they can't hear without being told and no one goes to tell them without being sent. Therefore, they can't call on him unless somebody reaches out to them. Jesus says, go into the world and make disciples. It's a directive he gives, correct? To his disciples. If we confess him as Lord, would it not seem logical to believe that anything he said in the past, anything he is saying currently, and anything he says in the future is for us to adopt as our own directive? Does that make sense? Therefore, when he says, go into the world and make disciples, it wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't a cool verse to memorize. It was actually to become a mandate of how we would live in the marketplace. That we are now going to become a people that we're going to step every morning we wake up, we step into the world with an agenda to reveal him. I fundamentally reject the idea of knocking on doors saying, do you know Jesus? I don't think it works. But it's amazing what kind of doors your smile will open. It's amazing what kind of doors your compassion will open. It's amazing what kind of doors kindness will open. It's amazing what kind of doors generosity opens. Serving. We are to be living at all times with an agenda, and that is to reveal him. All right, we're done. Stand with me. We're out of time. Please. Sorry, that's, that seemed very directive. I have more. I have two pages more, which is why I have to stop, because we're not going to get there. But I would love to offer this idea. Transition is always important in the kingdom. Today marks the day we transition out of this little room that seats about 300 people max into a room that seats closer to 800 it's beautiful, it's fun, but I wonder if perhaps what was in the heart of the Lord when we started this project and he knew what was going to happen with the weirdness of the universe and COVID and all of the ups and downs we faced as a nation, he knew that we were going to end up in a room that had more space than we needed because he has a deep desire to plunder Fort Collins to populate heaven. And then maybe the way he wants to do that is through a group of people that have heard this call to confess him as Lord and taken into their heart the reality of my job is to walk into this world and reveal him. I have four things for you to think about as you leave. Wake up tomorrow with a decision to be a great person in your community. Be real, be kind, and get ready for it to get messy. Broken, messed up people don't come to Jesus clean. That's right. 
They come to Jesus in all different states of mess, and it's okay, because that mess is what led them to need him. And we should celebrate that moment. We got to let go of our North American sensitivities and realize if we're going to get serious about living out what our king said, we've got to reach the world around us. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We honor you. Thank you for just your time, your presence, your grace, just all the things you gave today, your generosity, your faithfulness. We just declare back to you, you are entirely faithful. Holy Spirit, my heart cries that this would be like an anthem call to us. But we realize the time is now to reach our city. The time is now to just go be great people in the city and love the world around us. I know that's going to get tested, and I know we're going to get weirded out by it. So we just ask ahead of time for courage and grace to be fully who you've called us to be in our day and in our time. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Wednesday night, we're doing a night of worship in that space. Come help me kick it off. Thank you for your time with us. We would love to have you join us at a live gathering on Sunday. Our address is 1501 Academy Court, and it's just off of Prospect Road in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, please go to VintageCityChurch.com, and we'll see you next time.